Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. What incredible news that the curtain is torn. That which would keep a sinful man from a holy God, our sin debt, was satisfied in the person of Jesus on the cross. That's good news right there. Now, let me tell you this. As we stand in the reality of that, that we not only in Jesus, for those who would put their faith and who would put their trust in Jesus for their salvation, we not only have access to a holy God, but Scripture says that through the Holy Spirit, the very presence and power of God lives in us. The the Spirit of God dwells in us, making us, therefore, the tabernacle or the dwelling place of God. Now, how do we respond to such an incredible reality? How do we handle such a relationship that at one time was so impossible, but through Jesus, we not only have access, but we have the presence and power of God in our lives? See, sometimes in everyday life, we take things that are valuable to us and even things that are precious to us, and and we somehow mess them up. Like even something so simple as like a smartphone. Do you remember the first time maybe you got a phone? I remember I got mine, and I like had the whole life case on it, waterproof deal, and I walked around with it like this, and I was like, hold on, let me put everything down. I got a call, you know. (sighs) And I'm, you know, shining it up, taking care of it. Now I'm just like, hold on, let me find my phone somewhere, and I'm, I'm fumbling with it. And like Bobby posted this week, sometimes we have these oops moments where we become so familiar with something, it's just kind of second nature. We just kind of forget about it, and sometimes it costs us. I remember reading the story about a football recruit that was visiting the University of Florida And he was in the room where their 2006 National Championship trophy was. And he was just being careless. And being careless, he bumped into the $30,000 Waterford Crystal football. And it fell from his podium and it busted into a million pieces. He later on, incidentally, committed to the University of Georgia and became an instant hero, you know? Sometimes we're careless, and we mess up things. Sometimes we don't even handle our relationships with people well. Sometimes we lose sight of what really is so important and so precious to us. I remember when Courtney and I had our first son, Kaysen, and we got him home from the hospital, and it was football season, and that first Saturday with the new baby home, we're, we're watching football, and she said, uh, Trip, would could you watch Kaysen? I, I got some things around the house I need to do. Sure, anything for you, baby. Hand me, hand me that baby. And I'm holding that baby, and I'm sitting there, and I'm watching my Gamecocks play. And all of a sudden, we score a touchdown, and out of instinct, I jump in the air, and I go, yes, score! And almost as good as Alshon Jeffrey's touchdown catch, I scoop Kaysen up, and I catch him just in the nick of time thinking, Oh, thank you, God. I, I hope Courtney didn't see that, you know? <laughs> to which she promptly walks over and takes Kaysen from me and says, 
And that's the last time I'll ask you to watch the kids during a football game. And I'm thinking, yes, that is awesome. That worked out good all the way around right there. But sometimes we mishandle things that are so precious, whether we just become too familiar with them, or or maybe we're just careless, or maybe we lose sight of what really is so precious. Today, I want us to look at a story in the Old Testament, in the life of David, and it's a story that I think speaks to how we should handle this incredible access and relationship with God so carefully. As you turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 6, or if you use an app, turn on your Bible and shoot over to 2 Samuel chapter 6. I want to give you a little bit of background of what's going on here. It's a story in the life of David. Now, David was anointed to be the future king of Israel by the prophet Samuel when he was a preteen. Do we have any preteens or teenagers in here? Okay, so he was very young, and at such a young age, he is anointed to be the future king. Now, it's interesting, when Samuel is going to anoint David the future king, God reminds Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7, The Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So David, as a teenager or preteen, purposed in his heart, that he was going to honor God, that he was going to be obedient to God. At an early age, he said, I don't don't want a good plan, I want a God plan. And we see because of his obedience, God blesses him. God does, in fact, the impossible through him. Chuck alluded last week to the story of David. As a young guy, standing in front of a giant with nothing but a slingshot and rocks, and he says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And God, through him, does what the world thought would be impossible. So David becomes king. And as king, David unifies two kingdoms together as a unified kingdom. And David has a choice to make as king. Am I going to continue to purpose in my heart that I am going to honor God? Am I going to continue to have a God plan, not a good plan? And he decides to make Jerusalem not only the center of his government, but the center of worship. Now, this is interesting. During the 40 previous years of King Saul's reign, there was no mention of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you're not familiar with the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant was something that God instructed Moses to make. It was a box. And this box was covered with gold, and inside this box was put the law of God. And God said, uh, cover the box with, with a top, and place on top, make two cherubim, or angels. And whenever you do things as I tell you to do, when everything is just right, I will come down, and I will meet with you between the cherubim on what was called the mercy seat of God. And God says, you respond to me as I tell you, and I will come down, and you can experience my presence, and you can experience my power. This was a symbol of the very presence of God among his people. Well, David knew, if if I'm going to be successful in my reign, I've got to have a God plan, not a good plan. And so what I need to do is I need to go get the ark 
representing the presence of God, and I need to make the presence of God the very center of this plan. So David sets out to get the ark, and that's where we pick up in our story here in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000 of them, and he and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. And they set the ark of God on a new cart, and they brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart. And with the ark of God on it, Ohio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. So what's going on here, here's the scene. They go to get the ark to bring it back to Jerusalem. David takes with him 30,000 men. And man, they're dancing. They're singing. They're raising their hands. They're worshiping God. The band is playing. Picture night of worship times 50. That's what's going on here. 30,000 of them having a worship service. But see, in the midst of them doing everything externally the right way, they make a terrible mistake. Because as they go to get the cart, they ignore the word of God. See, back in Numbers chapter 4, 15, and then chapter 7, verse 9, God gave very specific instructions on how the ark was to be handled. He said only a certain group of people, the Levites, could carry the ark. And he said, if you were to touch the ark, you would surely die. This represents the holiness, the presence of God. And he says, this is how I want you to treat it. So David goes, and man, they're having this worship service. They're dancing. They're raising their hands. The band's playing. Everything's great. But it says that they got to the ark, and they put the ark on a new cart. Here's the problem here. God gave very specific instructions on who was to carry the ark, and how they were to carry the ark. See, they were supposed to carry the ark. The ark had these rings on it with these poles that went through it. And they couldn't touch the ark or they would die, so they would pick the ark up by these poles and they would carry it on their shoulders. David gets there with the best intentions. And I don't know exactly how it plays out, but he probably thought, huh, man, that ark looks kind of heavy. I'll tell you what, I got an idea. Why don't we build a cart with wheels on it, and we'll throw that bad boy up on the cart, and that'll make this long trek back to Jerusalem a lot easier. But see, in doing so, what he did, he was actually mimicking a Philistine practice of how the Philistines had moved it. In essence, what he's saying is, God, I got a better way to do this, and it was the world's way versus God's way. I wonder how many times we do that. We say, man, I want a God plan. But we get into the plan and we think, huh, maybe God didn't think about this. Or maybe, just maybe, okay, God, I got it, but maybe I could do it my way. Maybe my way is a little more efficient 
than your way. And David quickly made the God plan about him. And in disobedience, we see the first handle with care principle here, which is this. Excitement and zeal for God do not replace obedience to God. Excitement and zeal for God does not replace obedience to God. Well, does God want our worship? Yes. Does he want us to be excited about him? Absolutely. But is there something that God desires more than our excitement and zeal? If we flip back to 1 Samuel chapter 15, we see that the prophet Samuel was confronting Saul, David's predecessor, who God rejected as king because of his disobedience. And, and this is what he says in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 22. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Here's what we see here. The only offering that God was interested in that day was a fully devoted heart. One that was completely committed to honoring him in obedience. Now, we got to remember, it's not about getting it right in respect to our performance. It never has been and never will be. It's about being right with God in our hearts. If you're looking for something to tweet, this is a great reminder for all of us right here. It is not religion that God seeks of his children. It's a relationship. God says, abide in me. And we, we worry about our performance. We worry about getting it right. We worry about doing it our way. And God says, abide in me. And as we do, as our offerings are motivated by a heart filled with love, we will respond in the way that Jesus says we should respond if we love him. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. With great intentions, David and his whole crew failed to do it God's way. They made the plan about them instead of about God. I talk to people all the time. I talk to students all the time who are saying, Trip, I, man, I just, I'm not experiencing fulfillment in my life. I'm not experiencing peace. I'm not experiencing victory in my life. And I tell them in love, man, if you would stop trying to call the shots in your own life, you can experience the abundant life that God wants all of us to live. But so, so often we disobey. And then we blame God for the mess we find ourselves in. We'll say, oh, well, you know what? God has a plan. Yes, God has a plan. And his plan is that we respond in obedience to him and experience abundant life in him. God's plan is that we not suffer the effects or the consequences of our disobedience. And people say, well, I believe everything happens for a reason. My wife showed me this a while back on Pinterest or something. It says, uh, yeah, everything happens for a reason, but sometimes the reason is you're stupid and you make bad decisions, you know? And we make bad decisions and we live disobediently and, and we want to drag God into our mess then and say, well, God, I know you, you got a plan. Now, can God 
take bad things and use them for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose? Yes. But if we love him, we're going to be obedient to him. So many times we think, well, if it's a God plan, it's going to be easier. That's not true. That's not true. The reality is this. God's plan is not easier, but it is always better. Always. Obedience is not always easy, but as David is about to learn, the cost of obedience is nothing compared to the cost of disobedience. We see this in verse 6 and 7 here. When they came to the threshing floor at Nacon, Uzzah reached out and he took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. And the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark. Our second principle is this. A casual approach to God does not change God's holiness. Or another way to say that is this. Familiarity with the things of God does not change the sovereignty of God. Now your first reaction may be like mine. Why in the world did God strike this guy down? This is Uzzah, the son of Abinadab, with whom the ark had resided. Him and his brother were charged with taking care of the ark. He lived with the ark. He was around the ark. He had a great love for the ark. And in moving it on the cart, the ox stumbled. And with the best intention, he didn't want the ark of God to land on the ground. So he reaches out his hand to stabilize it. And when he touches it, God strikes him dead. Why would God do that? Because God honors his word. God already said, if you touch that, you will surely die. God was keeping his word. God is holy. God is righteous. God does what he says he's going to do. Uzzah had good intentions. But in this moment, he forgot about the holiness of God. And in this moment, he made the biggest mistake of his life. I wonder if the things of God become too familiar to us at times. Do you think it's possible that we get too comfortable around the things of God? Have we become so familiar with the things of God that we lose perspective sometimes on his holiness? In Psalm 111, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. So many times we like the idea of Jesus is my homeboy versus the idea of fearing God. Proverbs 19, 23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. I think here's a big idea here. Without the fear of the Lord, it's often easy to forget why we should really follow Jesus. If we take a casual approach, if we're so familiar with the things of God 
that is no big deal to enter into God's presence, to live in that reality, then we lose sight of why we really need to follow Jesus. People have asked me before, now down there at Sugar Hill, do y'all, y'all big on preaching grace or preaching sin? And I say, well, both. Here's the deal. We're really big on preaching grace. Why? Because we have a really big problem with sin, and we need a really big grace from a really big God. You can't separate the two. But what happens is, we become so familiar, we treat our relationship with God so flippantly, we treat sin so flippantly, that we minimize and we cheapen the significance of the grace of God and all the lengths he went to coming to earth in the person of Jesus himself to lay down his very life so that we can have relationship with him. It's a both and. Let's not minimize the bigness and the holiness of God. God invites us to experience the bigness of him. Let's never, ever minimize that. Lastly, in verse 7, we see the third handle with care principle here. When Uzzah reached out his hand and he touched the ark and God strikes him down, there's no doubt David was reminded that intentions do not prevent consequences of actions. Intentions do not excuse us from the consequences of our actions. Now we know this when it comes to everyday life. We're rolling down PIB to get lunch, and we're pulled over by the policeman, and he knocks on our window and says, uh, license and registration, please. Uh, is there a problem, officer? Well, yes, sir. You were doing uh, 85 and a 45, you know? Oh, my, my bad, officer. I didn't mean to do that. Oh, well, if you didn't mean to do it, then here, here you go. Have a nice day. It doesn't happen that way. We don't take that ticket to court and stand before the judge, Your Honor. See, what had happened was, I didn't mean to do this. Ah, it's just a mistake. Sorry. Didn't mean to do it. Oh, well, let's just throw the ticket out then if you didn't mean to. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in our earthly relationships. If I go to my wife, Courtney, on our anniversary and say, Sweetheart, you know that diamond necklace you've been looking at? Yeah. The one you took me down to the jeweler just so I could see how good it looked on you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought about getting that for you. That's not going to fly. I'm going to be sleeping on the couch. Or if I tell my kids at Christmas, yeah, all those toys y'all wanted, I thought about getting them for you. But you know what? It's the thought that counts. That's a lie. It's not the thought that counts. But we treat our relationship with God. I, so many times, treat my relationship with God like that. Well, God, I intended. I had the best intentions. We do it with our family. God, we want to make you the center of our household. We're going to spend time together as a family in your word. But the new season of American Ninja Warrior starts tonight. So when that's over with, later on in the season, we're going to do it. I can't tell you the number of calls I get from parents whose students are in college and they call me and they say, my student, they've crashed and burned. They really need a spiritual foundation. I wish they had a love for the church. I wish they had a love for the things of God. What can you do to help? And the reality, I have to say, is I'll do all I can. 
But unfortunately, you've been demonstrating to your children for the past 10 years that sports are more important than church. You've been demonstrating that other things are God in your household. But, but I intended, I, I really wanted, I get it, my heart breaks for you. But in my own household, I see it. My intentions don't excuse me from the consequences of my actions. And David certainly saw that. Sometimes we get lulled into security by our intentions. And there's a very real enemy who would say, as long as you mean to do that or as long as you say tomorrow. And so these good intentions, they never turn into action. And we're left with regret, remorse, and sometimes really wishing that we had handled opportunities and relationships with better care. Real quickly, let's conclude with this. Finishing the story in verse 8. Let's see what happens here. Uzzah touches the ark. He's struck down. David now responds kind of violently in verse 8 when he says, it says that, that David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, King David was told that God's blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Verse 13 here, notice this. And when those who were carrying the ark, he decides now, okay, we're going to do this God's way. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpet. David got angry that day, and his anger was righteous because he realized he had messed up. And in that moment, we see that that anger leads David to repentance. And when he repents, when he humbles himself before God, and in essence saying, God, this is about you. We're going to do this your way. I'm not going to try to turn this God plan on me. It is about you. It's always been about you. It'll always be about you. We see that when he does this, he moves from a good plan to a God plan. And his realization of God's presence drives him to humility it drives him to obedience and it drives him to worship notice it says when they picked up the ark this is what he does he takes one two three four five six steps everybody stops and they get down and they sacrifice and they worship god you know what he's doing here uh-uh i'm not gonna get ahead of you again god I am with great 
regularity. I'm going to stop and I'm going to put my focus and I'm going to put my mind and my heart on you and I'm going to recognize it's all about you. We're going to do this your way. And we see as David does that, we read on in the story. And as he responds to God in humility, in obedience, in worship, God pours out his blessings on David and on his household. The question we started with was this. How do we respond to the presence of God? Just like David learned. And that's this right here. The reality of God's presence should drive us to humility, obedience, and worship. Something so precious. Something so great. And the reality of that should drive us to humility. It's all about you. Obedience, your way, not my way and a lifestyle of worship as the tabernacle of God. Let's bow our heads together this morning. Maybe you're here and you've never experienced the power and the presence of God in relationship because you have never said, God, forgive me of my sins. I want to receive through Jesus forgiveness of my sins I I choose you I want to do it your way today God today I put you on the throne of my heart today I choose to follow you today if that's you today could be the day of salvation for you today could be the day as you surrender your life to Christ that the presence and the power of God can come into you making you the tabernacle of that's you, would you today in your heart simply say, God, I need you. I believe that through Jesus, what he did on the cross, my sins can be forgiven, my debt can be paid, it has been paid, and I receive that right now. I choose you today, God. If you've done that and you have relationship with God, let me ask you this. Have you, like I do so many times, made the God plan somehow about you other than about God? Would you today, simply in the reality of His presence, respond in humility to Him? Respond in obedience to Him? And respond in worship? to him. Father God, we open our hearts to you and all that you are. God, remind us of your holiness. Remind us of your bigness. Remind us of just how significant it is that we can have relationship with a holy God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And God, move us to response today. As we close with this song, that's a declaration of just how wonderful God's love is. Would you make, maybe right where you're sitting, maybe you want to respond and come forward and, and use this place at the front as an altar. 
But would you build an altar in your heart this morning and say, God, not only every six steps, but every step, I want to be mindful of you. Right now, I want to respond to you and to your presence. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.